Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode is delightful, this one. I sit down with Ian Winwood, Ian Winwood, uh, writer of multiple music publications uh, and you can now read his works in the Telegraph and the Times. You spent working in lots of uh, rock publications including time at Kerrang! And uh, I mean, we, we talk a little at the end about um, his incredible book, um, Bodies, which um, he'll tell you about at the end. Um, but before he tells you about that, he'll tell you about so much other stuff. Absolutely fantastic guest. Um, he was recommended to me by a few people actually uh and i'm so glad that we we got to recall because um he's a wonderful wonderful gen and and talks with such passion uh about the records he chooses today before we get on with that um if you uh, are new to this podcast let me tell you what you've missed you've missed some fantastic um episodes so far in fact you've missed 440 episodes you've missed me chatting to Indie darlings like, gosh, where do we start with that? Uh, the Vaccines, um, The Wombats, Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods. I've got a whole big Indish Mindy list. Um, we talk a little bit about that kind of sweet spot, which you've probably heard me talk about a lot, that kind of early 90s UK uh, guitar scene. So you can hear me talking to Jim Bob from Carter. You can hear me talking to Miles from The Wonder Stuff, James from EMF, Keeble Breaker, Ian Baker from Jesus Jones. We've had some wonderful chats um, with artists from from that wonderful era of, 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 of music. Um, and obviously I mentioned Kerrang! earlier. If you like your rock and your metal, then uh, you can catch episodes with um, Tommy Lee and Motley Crue, the Foo Fighters, Mastodon, um, Gallows. Um, it wasn't Gallows, was it? It was uh, It was Frank Carter. It was post-Gallows. Uh, Cancer Bats. Um, Deftones. We talk hip hop. Um, I've had. I've been blessed to speak to Yellow Wolf and Chuck D of Public Enemy. Um, yeah, uh, and that's without touching on the actors and the comedians and the producers. So there's loads of stuff that you can go and listen to for free. So once you've listened to today's Ace Chat with Ian, go explore that back catalogue, please, and uh, better still subscribe. And if you've really enjoyed it and you enjoy listening to other episodes, and you can support the podcast for a dollar a month. A dollar a month over on Patreon, and and not just do you get to support it, um, you get hundreds of 
we get access to hundreds of other episodes and radio shows and you can watch all the episodes ad-free over on Patreon as well. Um, and you can also get to come to the, the monthly live shows where uh, we pick a question from the podcast and, and all the guests come along on Zoom and they all bring some records and we all, we all just chat about it. It's a real geeky, nerdy, lovely hangout and, uh, and we just spend a, a bit of time just chatting records. It's lovely. And you can find out about that at patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Um, and everything else you need to know, if you want to work out where we are on the social media and you want to go and give us a like, love, share or follow over there, you can do that. You can get the clicks through to the Patreon on the website, which is off the beat and beat and not beaten off the beat and track podcast.com. Um, anyway, let's get on to the good stuff. Please enjoy it off the beat and track podcast with the wonderful, Ian Winwood. Sorry, ladies and gents, I've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. That's right. Hotel Chocolat, those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff, right? They have been my partner now for close to two years, and I can't thank them enough. Um, and the one way that I can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you, you go and get your chocolates from there, but some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do, you need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got loads of all your favourite spirits and then they've added their lovely chocolatey, magic-y stuff to it. So you can get like, uh, my favourite's the mint chocolate one. Go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious. The salty caramel one will blow your socks off as well. There's loads. You need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, Hotel Chocolat do. And I'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. Go check them out. But right now, get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. We are recording. Joining me today, Ian Winwood. Hello. Hello, Stu. How are you? Hello to all your listeners. Uh, no one's ever done that. That's nice. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know why it's a little <laughs> affectation of mine. Now that I'm now that I'm a media superstar, I find myself doing it. I find it's become a take. I don't know why. Putting a bit back. It's nice. Uh, um, before we get on with with, with anything uh, <laughs> today, you mentioned just before we press record, and I was like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait!" I want to know how much you agonised over it, just because I know what you do for a living, and we'll, we'll obviously talk about that. Um, I imagine we're in, we're on a very similar level of nerd when it comes to music, so I'm curious as to well, let- how agonising this was. I'll let, I'll go back right to first principles. Uh, please forgive my ignorance, Stu, but I first became aware of your podcast, and I think it was a good episode to start with. Uh, and it was uh, a, a, a woman called Kylie Olson was your guest, uh, who I'm sort of a little bit pally with on social media. I've only met her once, but it was brought to my attention. Uh, that I warranted a mention, a book I've written warranted a mention. So obviously being the narcissistic egomaniac that I am, uh, I took myself out uh, for a walk. It's a great day outside, but uh, and it was only about a month ago, I think, and, and it was a beautiful day here in Camden. And I had a walk thinking, come on, when am I coming up? When am I coming up? 
So I learned a couple of things from this. Uh, and what you're learning is that I don't answer questions uh, in, a, in, a, in a straight line. Uh, I, uh, I learned that it's a very popular podcast and that my, the deficiency in my knowledge was, was my fault. Uh, and B, it's a really great template. It's a really great idea for a, for a, a podcast. It's almost like a kind of... Uh, a, a cool version of Desert Island Discs, in a way. Well, you're uh, right. You're right. And and that was... Do, do you know what? It's like... What I was always obsessed with is... High Fidelity blew my mind, you know? Right. And, and the whole concept of lifts in that was like, right, okay. So that that's that's point one. And uh, one of the people that I do a lot of sort of work with is, is a musician called Scroobius Pip from, from around my neck of the woods. Hmm. And... Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say musician. He's an actor now. Um, but one of the things that always I found really intriguing, because Pip's being uh, from Essex like myself, was when people would go, um, so have you moved to London? And he's like, no. Hmm. Like, why not? And he's like, well, why would I? And it's like, well, you, you, you want to be successful, you should move to London. And he was like, I don't really want to. Like, I'm quite happy where I am. And so it just made me a little bit intrigued as to, people's location and, and and where they're born and where they're brought up and how that impacts on a creative journey um because if we look at music and i'm sure this is something that you you, you know you would have done countless times in your in your career like you've got london manchester liverpool and i guess you know ev- every kind of area's got its 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 big hitters Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm always intrigued as to like how much that draws the industry out to them places. You know, do they? You know, does anybody post post early 1982 and coming out to watch Depeche Mode? Do people come out to my hometown anymore? Do, are people interested in what's going on in Southend on Sea? And and so was, I wanted to sort of delve into them little pockets. And initially, this podcast was set up because I like nerdy questions and I like talking to people that that. Are you know, create stuff. Mm. Um, I thought I'd do each little mini series on a certain area. So my plan was the first one. If you see the first or five or six episodes, they're all in Essex. Right. And, and then basically people from further afield were like, oh, would you speak to blah, blah, blah? And it was mm. like, oh my God, I'd love to speak to them. Oh, I've got to just, maybe I'll do a Birmingham one or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was just getting offered too many people that I really would, want to chat to that was like i've just got to so that it kind of become a thing of its uh you know uh uh, its own little things or found its own way really but essentially i just like being a bit nosy and talking to people about records it's it's great and that's what i discovered when i was listening to it i liked the interaction the two of you had and hopefully that that will we have and will we will have but in answer to your original questions, Stuart, I was starting to answer the questions that Kylie was answering. Right. Uh, uh, so, uh, so, uh, and, and I think I said to you by email not to not to let light in dirt, but behind the magic. That phrase isn't quite right, is it? But uh, light in on the magic. Um, but but there's a, a, a you have a category. What's the greatest intro? And as I was walking around Camden, listening, I was thinking, do you know what? Uh, whatever you want by status quo. I don't know if you remember remember that. It's just really slow, slow light, light. And I thought that's a really good intro. Would I pick? Would I pick quo? And it's the first, yeah. the first song as well. Would, would I pick quo? And for for the longest time, I couldn't 
I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better one. I have thought of a better one. Uh, so in answer to your question, I've been obsessing about it for about a month. You were kind enough to contact me and invite me on. But that, that's really neither here nor there. Even if we had never interacted and this wasn't happening right here, right now, I'd still be thinking about the questions Good. and imagine myself to be on this, this podcast. Because am I mad in saying that everybody has probably done their Desert Island Discs, right? Yeah, I certainly have. Uh, I, I certainly have. Well, do you, I don't know if you remember. I mean, my, my wife listens obsessively to Desert Island Discs. She's mm. a bit more Radio 4 than I am. Uh, and um, But I do remember when Danny Baker was on there and he picked the first 10 songs he could remember hearing. And I quite, I quite like that. But I think I'd probably pick my 10 favourite punk rock songs. I think that's what I'd probably do. I'm not expecting an invitation, I should say. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise I, I, I guess I'd start doing the thing, inevitably start doing the thing about, about representation and about, you know, I've got, I can't remember how many songs you're allowed. I've got eight songs written by, you know, performed by 40 blokes. And and you start overthinking it a little bit. Yeah. I thought if I do my eight favorite punk rock songs, then I can do it. I can do it with an element of purity. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, we, we've 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 touched on Quo. I know that you've parked that up. <laughs> Dan Dan's a fucking cracker, though, isn't it? What what's a cracker? Stu, Dan sorry. Dan by Status Quo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's oh, a tune? Absolutely. I, I when I wore a younger man's clothes. I saw Queen and Quo on the same bill uh, and um, me and my mum at Wembley Stadium and the undercard, I mean, it wasn't a co- it wasn't a, co- a, co- a co-headliner, a co-headliner, <laughs> uh, Queen with a headliner, uh, but it was, um, and on the undercard you had the alarm and in excess as oh, well. Oh, what you a know, day out. If you're 15, that's, that's a, that's a, yeah. a banging day out. In fact, I've just briefly... Red, I was on a deadline yesterday. I don't know if you're filming this, but if you're not. I am. Uh, uh, right. Uh, I, 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 I'll give her a little plug. Uh, I reviewed this book yesterday for the Times. Excuse the, excuse the name drop. Uh, so I was on a, a monster of a deadline, and it's a book called Loud by a, a woman called Tana Douglas. And she, she never quite says this herself, but I reckon she is the first ever female roadie. Uh, with ACDC in 1974 and then continued and continues, actually. But she was Quo's, uh, one of, one of part of Quo's road crew. Roadies, attend to, they tend to refer to roadies and to themselves as techs these days. Yeah. It's, highly, it's highly skilled work. Yeah. But roadie is the word that she uses. Uh, and they sound great. They sound great in it. You know, they come, they come out of it really, really well. Mm. So... So I've had them on my mind a little bit anyway, but yeah, but down, down. Fantastic song. Okay. So what is the song with the greatest ever intro? Well, the song with the greatest ever intro, Stu, I was thinking about this today. Let's put people out of their misery, first of all. To my ears, the song with the greatest intro uh, is a song by Green Day called Panic Song. Okay. Uh, and I actually had to listen to it last night as I was uh, as, as I was exercising, and um, and I listened to it a lot anyway. And it's from the it's from the 1995 album Insomniac, which was the successor to Dookie. Dookie, some of your listeners and you yourself may well know, 
was the album where Green Day went from selling, you know, however, 10, 20,000 copies on a, on a very small independent label to selling 20 million copies on Warner Brothers with Dookie. And Insomniac is the... If you listen, if you listen to it in this light, which I do, is the sort of response to those kind of um, uh, to having the bends really of, of, yeah. of overwhelming success. And Panic Song, it's only about three and a half minutes long. Uh, I mean, the the whole album is so pared back to the bone, and the intro itself it just builds like. A, like it, like a panic, like I imagine a panic attack would, and the the intro is about two minutes long, and it just gets more and more ferocious as it goes on, and then after about two minutes, you've got a ninety minute song. I'm not quite sure the song itself quite what is quite worthy of the intro, yeah. um, but I find it interesting because I was thinking about this just before I came on. That Green Day, who who I I don't like the last record, but I love I love them I love them, and I've seen them thirty seven times, and I've been lucky enough to you know sort of interviewed them certainly around America, uh, and um, and in and in Europe as well. But they're the the first band. That, there is a brief window of opportunity where the bands that you listen to are exactly the same age as you are, within, say, the, a, a, a range of a year. Uh, and that's that's the case for Green Day with me. Before that, all the bands were older, and then very quickly after, they start getting younger. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, and, and I, I was very much a punk rock kid, and I... How old really, are you, Im? I'm 51 years old, Stu. Right. And I remember hearing... Uh, Dookie and thinking, oh, I like this. I recognise it as being an authentic punk rock album. I was never part of the of the of the constituency that said, oh, that ain't punk. That's I, I was I was never buying that. I could see its roots. I could see its authenticity. So that was never a question. I just didn't lo- love it particularly. I liked it, but when I heard Insomniac, and particularly when I heard Panic Song. I realized and I remember realizing, oh, right, this is a band that I'm going to love yeah. now. So it's it's quite special to me. But it is musically, just very quickly, I, I was, I, I have, I spoke to the, the albums, but not, not in preparation for this in, in the past. I spoke to Rob Cavallo, who produced the album, and I spoke to Trey Cool, who's the band's drummer, just the, simply about the kind of athleticism. And, and musicality required to play something like that. And if if the listeners haven't heard it, I'd recommend they do, because apparently it was it was grueling. It was like you know running sprints for in in spring training. You know, it was exhausting and exacting to get to get that done. It was um, it was an interesting album. I mean, I, I was a fan of it, and for me, I'm I'm for, I'm forty nine. Right. Um, I'll, I'll be 50 in April. Um, um, I think I was already DJing in a, in a rock club mm. uh, by then. And the impact that Dookie had was huge. And, mm. and what's weird is, like, I'm still at that club, you know, 32 years later. Wow, good. And I can still play Basket Case yeah. when I come around. 
and it will still get pretty much the same response as what 18-year-old kids were doing in the early 90s. Mm. And I think I think Dookie's... And, and I'll put it alongside Nevermind, insofar as I think they're both incredible pop records. Yeah. Like, they're such... They're, they're, every track on them records is so infectious, like, so melodic, huge choruses, instant sing-alongs, like, hook-ridden throughout both them records. Mm. And I think the the follow-up album, I, I think, you know, as you saw with so many bands of that time, you saw it with with Pearl Jam, with 10, to then go, right, hang on a minute, we're stepping back mm. from this. The, yeah. the, the, the furore of this is too much for us. We're, we're not going to give you another 10. And I think, obviously, we saw it with Nirvana. And I think we saw it with Green Day. And I think, you know, I, I, I'd say maybe they were the three biggest alternative rock bands at that point. Yeah. Like, and I, 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 sorry, Stu. I also, thought, I also think what was great, you know, listening to you talking to Kylie, um, was that, there was that wonderful window that opened with with Nirvana and and bands that came before. I'm not suggesting that they arrived out of a clear blue sky. Jane's Addiction, Faith No More, Metallica put in some work as well, getting mm-hmm. rid of the kind of cock rock, rock, yep, rock rubbish. Absolutely, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm definitely with you on that on that on, on evaluating that scene. It's not to my taste at all. No. Uh, but instead of you know you know because Duke was released just just months before Kurt Cobain you know died by suicide, and instead of kind of American music, the American music scene going okay well you've had your fun it's all got a bit dark so let's it's going to be rubbish and sanitized again. You had a whole different wave of of, of more you know really good bands. You had Green Day, and you had you know the punk rock kind yeah. of groups, and Rage Against the Machine came along. Uh, and then you know Merkel started doing interesting things. It just, it, I, I think back on the nineties, and I don't, I don't romanticize them. I don't think, but I think there is evidence to suggest it really was an inc- incredible uh, period for, for for guitar music, uh, where bands that kind of you know would were, were perhaps in the 80s would have been on the fringes, popular, no yeah. less, you know, like our, you know, in the way that R.E.M. were popular in the 80s. Uh, uh, but, and the Smiths were popular in the 80s, but sort of compartmentalised in their box, not of the mainstream. Yeah. And suddenly this stuff was mainstream, and I, and, and I, I think that that's great. I'm not sure it quite gets the, overall as a decade, I'm not quite sure it gets the, the credit or the attention that, that it deserves. It was a really, it was a really solid decade. Oh, I, I could, I could literally talk about it forever. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you mentioned REM there who, who, you know, were one of my favorite bands and, mm. um, and, you know, they were pushed over there in the kind of alternative college rock, you know, throughout yeah. the eighties. And then look at essentially become at one point, probably the biggest band in the world in the nineties. You know, I yeah, think yeah. around yeah. the time of Automatic for the people, they're up there with you too. You know, they were huge, and yeah. and I think yeah, and and I, and I do think as much as Nirvana and you know them bands would probably reference REM and the Pixies, I think it mm. was because of bands like what was happening in the early nineties with Nirvana and and you know the, the alternative rock movement that. REM got that extra push and got yeah. you know and got credited and got got the you know the bigger exposure and yep. taking nothing away from the, the fact that you know they're an incredible band, but um, but yeah and I think 
even at that point, and there's this, 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 I've spoken about it on quite a few other episodes, and I'm, I'd be interested to get your take on it. Um, mm. Because music history, to I would say, and I don't mean this in an elitist way, you know, your, your casual music fan will be, mm. the big moments were like, right, Manchester, 89. Yeah. And, uh, and then it was like... <clears throat> Seattle grunge, whatever you want to call it, that 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 alternative rock movement, and then nothing happened till Britpop, and it was like, well, no, that's not true, no. and it's that pocket in the UK is the bit that I'm intrigued by, the fact that all of them bands that you look at, like Blur and Oasis, you know, from the Britpop time, none of them had the commercial success in America. That no. bands like Jesus Jones and EMF did, yeah. and and bands like Carter and the Wonder Stuff and all of them bands, I I, I really do think that Miles Hunt is an incredible songwriter, an mm. incredible pop songwriter, um, and that pocket of music we called it Grebo down here, um, yeah. just gets forgotten about. And I don't know, it's because of the, the fashion everybody was wearing then. It was lots of shorts and dreads and colours and I don't know what. But it just seems to go, from my opinion anyway, it seems to just, like I say, go, you know, Manchester, Seattle, Britpop. And it's like, yeah. there was so much incredible UK, you know, uh, alternative. Suede come out, you know, in well, that. Yeah, Swig was what I was going to say, because I remember when I first started as a music journalist, which was 92, but 93 was probably the year, because 92 was a bit sticky, Mm. because I started on a magazine that was going broke. What was that, Ian? It was it, well for the for the nineties, Stu. My uh, my apprenticeship was was all was on was on three magazines that all had metal in the title, <laughs> which was which was weird because I am although I I do like a, a, a number of metal bands. This isn't musical snobbery. I hope at least it is. It is um, just pure honesty. I'm just not a metal head. Yeah. Um, and where I wanted to get to was Kerrang. Now, some of your listeners might think, well, that is a metal mag. But it, but it's not, and it never has been. It covers those bands, don't get me wrong. But in my, when I finally did get there in, in 2000, you know, I'd, be, I'd do the White Stripes one week. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd go on a tour with the White Stripes. So when I say go on tour, I'd do them a couple of nights on the tour. Uh, 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 and then I'd do the Beastie Boys, and then I'd do the Hives, and then I'd do Slayer, and then I'd do Greenish. So it was anything that was loud. That yeah. was where I wanted to be. So I was so I, so in answer to the question, your 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 question, my, or my thoughts on it. I think in '93, I remember reading the Enemy in '93, a specific issue of the Enemy in '93, and. Um, it, it, honestly, we, we, we do, we're doing this this interview, uh, Stu. Uh, you know, the, uh, days after the Queen died, and mm-hmm. you open a newspaper, and all it is, is 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 stuff about the Queen. That's what the enemy was like with Swede. It was it was, yeah. I, and even at the time, at, at twenty two years old, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. And the and the the music press, particularly the music papers, particularly the enemy, but also the melody maker, sounds had closed by then, I believe. Yeah, they they held such enormous sway 
and I don't believe, and I certainly don't remember them really giving, certainly EMF and Jesus Jones, uh, really giving them any kind of credit. It was decided that this wasn't particularly worthy. Yeah. And you're right, of course. Unbelievable. It was an enormous smash in the United yeah. States. F- rifling through my memory banks. Now, I remember that Jesus Jones um, remixed a, a Bon Jovi song. It might have been Keep the Faith. Right. Uh, which you know what I mean? It's, it's I think just, I think right here, right now, went to n- number one or two in America as well. And you've really got to be going some to do to do that in the this century, Stu. Uh, and I've I've searched quite hard for this. I'm, I don't mean to bring a chill upon the podcast, but there are there are four UK acts that have attained gold gold a gold record and beyond in the United States. British acts, so gold gold is five hundred thousand copies. There is the Arctic Monkeys. There is Muse. There is Bullet for My Valentine, uh, and there is Lost Prophets, and that's and they're 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 the four. It's extraordinarily difficult to break America. Yeah, uh, and 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 you know you're right. I was lucky enough to see Pulp at uh, Radio City Music Hall about 2011 when they got back together the first time. And that and that's Radio City Music Hall. For anyone who doesn't know, is a is a is a beautiful venue in in Manhattan. And I mean, I could they played there two nights. I couldn't believe that they were playing there. And it was weird because the audience was. I'm used to. I mean, speaking to you now, I've got a pair of Converse on, a pair of Vans trainers. Uh, I was going to wear a Ramon shirt. I'm wearing a Pill shirt, so at least I've got an English, English band on, on my chest. And but I'm used to going at sort of especially punk rock shows where everybody is dressed like a, they could be easily be American. And at this show at Radio City Music Hall, everyone was dressed as if they really wanted to be English, as if they really wanted to be Jarvis Carpenter. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. But that's retrospectively, yeah. you know, on, on on his and hers and on different class. They couldn't have. They couldn't have drawn a crowd in the United yeah. States. Maybe, maybe they could have got filled a, a decent sized club in New York City. Yeah. But that's not the same uh, as 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 drawing a crowd in Cincinnati or Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, it's just it's not. You're right. Totally. Absolutely, and their loss. Yeah. Um, I went on a bit there. I do apologise. That's all right. Um, Tell me the first song you remember that had an emotional impact on you, please, Ian. Well, I've lied a little bit on this because the first song I remember that had an emotional impact on me is, is, is Puff the Magic Dragon. But I find it I find it so piercingly sad that I honestly don't think I can talk about it without it triggering me. Right, so, so that's mine as well. It, right, well, that's interesting. Isn't it? It's unbearably heartbreaking, isn't it? And Maxine Peake chose it and got very emotional talking about it. And I feared that I would do the same. Well, she's she's a braver person than I am. <laughs> That's lovely. Her. I, I remember Stu. I remember Stu, way screaming, crying because mm. it was so sad. Yeah. So I've picked, and my memory was sort of peaked by this. No, no pun intended to Maxine. Uh, by the hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi to Pete Pathetis, or Pete Pathetis, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, who I'm buddies with on Facebook. Oh, he's and, been on. He's been on. He was good for Right, you. okay, great. And 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 he, he mentioned this song, and, and, and I, it is one of my early memories. So it is... I hate it when people do this. They talk for 10 minutes and you still don't know what the song is. <laughs> it is the title track from 1978 to the film Grease. Yeah. Uh, and it, so it's Grease and it's sung by Frankie Valli. It's written, God, I ought to check this out. I'm sure it's written by Barry Gibbs of the Bee Gees. Also, uh, trivia rats might be might be keen to uh, learn. It also has Peter Frampton Frampton on guitar. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he does. And I remember my mum and I. So I spent my early years in in Barnsley in the People's Republic of South Yorkshire, and uh, my mum and I went to see Greece uh, in Sheffield. I don't know why we went in Sheffield because Barnsley had an audience. But we went to Sheffield, which is about about 12, 12 miles south. It's the biggest, nearest big city. Uh, I remember queuing. I don't remember seeing the film. I don't know if we got in, but we certainly queued. And, I, I, and of course, I remember the soundtrack songs because they were ubiquitous. Um, but this is the one that I really liked. I, I guess we did see it because I remember that the – if memory's serving me correctly, the title, the the the, the song in the film, it's it's accompanied by animated images. Yes, right, yeah, that, right. So that sticks in my mind. But Pete, so it would, so I do remember that, and I remember that very clearly now that I think about it. Um, but Pete made the point, and it would be dishonourable to pass it off as my own, but I can only concur. That if you listen to the to the musicality of it, the session, the, the the quality of the session players, the quality of the arrangements, the quality of the writing, the quality of Frankie's voice, obviously, it's really sort of music at its highest possible standard. It is not possible to better tune an engine. Yeah. Couldn't than, agree more. Then he's managed in that, in, that, in that song, and I listened to it just today, and I have been listening to it, Stu. I only ha- I, this this decision I only made last night to choose Greece, and I have been listening to it a lot in the past couple of months, 
the way the kind of torn section starts the song, it's What loud. an intro. What an oh, intro. I mean, I could have picked that as the intro. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and so whatever song I've been listening to sort of for the last couple of days, as I'm walking around the kitchen, I'll just be singing, but I won't sing the whole song. I'll just sing a line or two repeatedly to the point where it looks like I'm attempting to drive my wife insane <laughs> and have her committed so I can live off her salary, which is far greater than mine. <laughs> and she would say, for God's sake, Ian, just shut up, will you? Please, I love you, but shut up. She didn't even say I love you. She just said shut up. Uh, and, um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a banger as, as an eight year old and uh, no seven, I was in seven. So it's a banger then and it's a banger now. And, and, and I'm, I'm pleased that I've, that I've, I've pulled that one out. Wonderful. Tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school. Song that reminds me of time at school. Now here, I hope I've done something original and trailblazing, Stu. In that it's not a song that I listened to at school. Okay. It's a song that someone else listened to at school. This is a maverick move and I'm loving it. So by now, Stu, uh, the the spectre of divorce had descended on my young life. And myself and my mum had moved south uh, to Buckingham uh, for my teenage years. And listeners will be astonished to learn, given my clear, uh, exalted intelligence and, and, and uh, smooth verbosity, that in a county that had the 12 plus, I failed my 12 plus. If my mum is listening to this, she will want me to tell you that at the end of my first term at a secondary modern, I was offered the chance to move to the grammar school, which was right next door. Beat that for an inferiority complex. <laughs> but being the stubborn little swine that I am, I said, no, I don't want to. You didn't want me in the first place, so you're not having me now. Uh, and she was apparently okay with that. Uh, anyway... So I went to the secondary modern school, and um, and when you get to about 14, of course, you start, or, or some of you start taking music seriously. Uh, and there were three scenes in, our, in, in, in my school, certainly my school year. There were some kids that liked psychobilly music. If anybody mm. of you listeners remember psychobilly music, and in order to prep for this, you, I and I thought it was garbage then, when I was fourteen and my brain was a quarter formed, and I liked myself a load of old rubbish. Uh, I listened to some of these psychobilly bands last night. Oh man, they are bad. King Kurt is not a good band. <laughs> I thought the King Kurt were the best of the bunch. Meet yours. Oh, they're even worse. But I did go and see them. I went, I went to see the Meteors in Deptford. What, right. what's a, what is a 15-year-old doing with his mate? You had no place there, mate. At the Crip in Deptford. I'm deep in Millwall country. And I, and, and I used to go to gigs at the club fuck to see them, which anybody remembers is, is mm. at the he was at the Clarendon. They were vile. They were horrible shows. They were nasty, nasty people at those shows. It's weird. Very quickly. Uh I'd go to watch these, you know, pretty psychotic-sounding punk mm. bands, Suicidal Tendencies, who at the time sounded sounded different to how they would sound, the Circle Jerks. And, and you know, people would literally be diving off PA stacks. No violence in the crowd, which is, of course, as it should be. Mm. You go and see these lame psychobilly bands, 
and but the audience are punching the crap out of each other. It was really hairy. Mm. Fortunately, I'm I'm small and unthreatening, so I, I never got a piece of the action. Nor, nor did I want it. Anyway, so then there was me and my mate, and we would listen to punk and, and speed metal. And there was this other group who were about three people, and and, and I, we kind of acknowledged each other's love of music, but we weren't we weren't an intermingled uh, group of friends at all. One of them's name was Johnny Brewster, and I'm going to give him a shout out. And they were crazy, crazy about hip hop, nuts about it. And I just remember at the time thinking that that was just fantastic, that people that I knew were so into what was easily the most exciting scene of the three. I mean, it doesn't take much to be more. Do you know? And so the song that I've picked is I'm Bad by LL Cool J, because I remember my friend Johnny went down to what was then the Hammersmith Odeon to see LL Cool J and Public Enemy. And Eric and, B. And, and, uh, yeah, and some of the audio from that show is on the album It Takes a Nation of Millions. Oh, there. Right, right, okay. Oh, unfortunately, I believe it's ten, Tim Westwood doing the shout-outs. It, it, that's, it, not it is, yeah. that's not his. That's not his. And I was there the night before a rubbish metal show that was very poorly attended. And they went down and they were so excited. And it was a, it was a schlep to get from Buckingham to London. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, my mum was great. She, I, I said to her, you know, if I'd said to her, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm going to go and see, oh, God, I don't know, uh, the Circle Jerks on a, on a Thursday night. Can you drop me off at Milton Keynes Station? And she would. And then pick me up at half past midnight with school the next day. That's a good that's, mum, that's, mate. That's, that's not actually correct because the Circle Jerks was a Saturday, but definitely she would. She she did that and did that numerous times. Uh, and and anyway, so just to quickly, so they and they, I remember just how excited they were. They were going to the show, and my mate Johnny got to Hammersmith Stadium. Oh, he didn't get mugged, did he? And, and, and he got mugged for his trainers. <laughs> he got mugged for his for his. They were running through. There was gangs running through the trains, just nicking trainers, nicking wallets. He, yeah, he got he got he got mugged for his, his Run DMC Adidas. Oh, brutal! I know. I don't know why I'm laughing, poor Johnny. But I remember just thinking, and and sort of the music that I was listening to, uh, you know, Slayer had signed to Def Jam, so I was aware, and had been produced by Rick Rubin, so I was aware of this. It wasn't entirely a foreign country to mm. me. And I was intrigued by it. But what really struck me and what I really remember is just how damn passionate they were about hip-hop. And I just thought that that was the greatest thing. So that's a shout-out to my mate, Johnny. LL Cool J, I am bad. Oh. Which today, for anyone, if anyone gives it a listen, which today sounds like it was recorded in about 1932, given how different it is from, from you know, current, and certainly 21st century hip-hop. No rapper can rap quite like I can. Like I can. I'll get a muscle band man and put his face in the sand. sand. Yeah, Yeah. still remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, tell me the first record you bought from a record store, mate. Right, the first record I bought from a record store, Stu, and I bought two of them. Good. Or I actually. The wording's not quite clear on this. They were bought from a record show. I, I, I didn't buy them. They were bought. Okay. From 
And it was Master Blaster by Stevie uh, Stevie Wonder. Wonderful. I almost said by Stevie Winwood then. Uh, and Master Blaster was the first single that I ever owned. And what I should say was the first singles that I ever owned. Because uh, we, I, I, I got it home. Now, again, memory is malleable, but I remember it being a cold Saturday early evening. And I think it must have been in winter because I remember it being dark. And I pulled it out of its sleeve. Where'd you buy I, it? Uh, w- uh, w- let me see now. Where would we have bought it? We, it was bought in Barnsley Town Centre. So my guess it would have been either WH Smith or Woolworths. We had a Woolworths at the time. Probably Woolworths. That had the biggest record department. Yeah. I remember buying some jam stuff from, from Woolworths. It was a pretty decent record department. Yeah. And I sat down and I read the credits on the on the middle of the disc in front of the fire. And I looked up and it had warped oh, like, a, a, like a like a fan. M- melted cheese. Oh. And I remember this as if it were yesterday. And I knew I knew it was screwed. And I to my mum and I said mum is it supposed to do this and she said no love it's not and I just and I wasn't I wasn't a a, we have a word in Barnsley I wasn't a mongy child I didn't I I wasn't I wasn't given to histrionics but I just pretty much had a nervous breakdown (laughs) on the spot it it was it was it was a bad scene and um because again, younger listeners will will I think we can't be expected to understand that I could only hear this song on the radio, and if the radio didn't decide to play it, I couldn't hear it. So I couldn't just you know the window was no means. People listening to this now might make a note and put it straight on. You couldn't do that. And my mum, bless her, and we lived about two miles outside of town at that time. And she got in the car, rushed down there, and bought me another copy before the shop. Mate, you've got a special mum, I tell you. She's a right enabler. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and so I had it. And I just think, I've never seen Stevie Wonder play. I wish I had. Um, And it was sort of a bit off-brand because I liked, liked, again, listening to the radio, I liked uh, Elvis Costello and I liked the Broomtown Rats. Uh, and I like turning Japanese by the vapors. I like that kind of uh, energetic, melodic pop rock sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, and Motorhead would soon be to enter my life and change my life completely. Uh, but there was just something superior about Master Blaster. It's rhythm, it's groove. What I come to realize now are its arrangements. It was just a, a badass piece of music. You know, it was just. It was just, again, like Greece. It was just top tier stuff. Yeah. So I'm pretty pleased because the first album I ever owned, Stu, was Barry Manilow's Greatest Hits. So I don't want you, you really. Which listen. one? Manilow Magic? Yeah, the one with him on the front, kind of like in a white or silvery Manilow shirt. Manilow Magic, mate. Manilow Magic. Yeah, so you really know your stuff. 
and, 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 and I mean, I don't I mean, know Matt, if that's a cool one to know or not. No, and, and obviously, Mandy is just—it's just a, 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 a knock it out of the park monster ballad. But I'm pleased that Stevie Wonder was my first single. What was your? I know I'm taking up a lot of your time here, Stu. But what was your? No, first we're in no rush, man. Um, the the first single that I owned um, was the first record I got bought was Laughing Down by Bowie. By okay. my nan got me that, and he, I'm, I'm not saying that I was a Bowie fan. It was a novelty record, and yeah, she yeah. must have heard it and bought it from me when I was tiny. Uh, and I remember just listening. And I think it was really funny. No idea who David Bowie was then. Um, right. I, I, she bought me that and a song. I can't remember who it's by. It was called Jungle Rock, and it was probably got played yeah. in the uh, probably got played around a lot of the kind of uh, jungle, psychobilly jungle, clubs jungle, as well. Jungle, yeah, jungle that's yeah. it. And uh, and yeah, and I got that. But the first record I bought with my own money was um, Buggles' video called the Radio Star. Oh, that is such a fine song. Uh, it's uh, it's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a masterpiece, mm. no doubt about it. Even especially because Trevor Horn, it was a Trevor Horn song. Yeah, and so I, I'm, my guess is he produced it. He did. So yeah. it's, it still sounds fantastic. Yeah, I saw I actually saw ABC at the weekend. Funnily enough, and uh, yeah, I went to it was um. My, my my best friend's a, a a musician comedian called Cunt and the Gang. And, oh right, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So he's he, yeah. So he's the yeah. guy that's had the the the, the Boris Johnson song and the, uh, the 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 recent Prince Andrew one that yeah. charted. Yeah, so that's that's me best bud, and we've we've been mates like, God blimey. Uh. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, we've worked at uh, 42 years. And uh, and so uh, we went to this 80s festival to to celebrate his 50th. And we saw, who did we see? Um, we saw Adamant. I've not seen Adamant on his comeback trail. And, I've not uh, seen him at all. I could, yeah. I know what I could have picked Adam in the ants quite easily, but that oh. slipped my mind. Sorry, Stu. It was fantastic. He was amazing. Right. right. Uh, and I, I got and it got supported by um, OMD, and it was the first time I'd seen OMD, and I love OMD. Right. Okay. Uh, and they just come on and just literally just done a greatest hits and it was phenomenal and yeah for the abc and yeah there was all your, your kershaws and your howard jones and and stuff like that and it was yeah poptastic day out it was lovely that's that that sounds like i mean i've certainly had worse saturdays or something <laughs> oh mate i had the best time like right. being the age i am like you know the, the the early 80s and stuff like that and all of most of them bands were on now that's what i call music the first one and that was the first album i owned and right uh, and, and uh, so what? Twenty thousand people ish sort of crowd? No, what? no. Yeah. I would say eight. 
That's all right, though. That's all what you don't want. It's 80. No, it was great. And I was probably the youngest one there. It was wonderful. Fantastic. Uh, It's like when I I go and see Elvis Costello. It's like, sometimes I wonder, that's the only reason I go. That's the only reason I go about 10 years. Do you know what? No one's ever chosen Elvis Costello song on this podcast, apart from three people have. You haven't haven't got one on your list, have you? No, I haven't, No. no. But three people have, and all three people chose I Want You. That's that doesn't surprise me. I once saw. I once. I'll tell you a quick story. I once. I mean, I've seen Elvis thirty, at least thirty times, and I saw him once at the Shepherd's Bush Empire, uh, and he opened the set with "I Want You." That was the first song he played. And I don't know if you like football, Stu, but for anyone that does, if you go and see a band play, no matter how brilliant the band are and how brilliant they may perform a song that you particularly love. You make a conscious decision to clear, cheer and clap. But if you support a football team and your team scores a goal, you make a noise without knowing you're doing it. On the rare occasions that Barnsley score a goal, that's what happens. And so Elvis opened with I Want You. He didn't do the acoustic intro bit. He just went, I want you. And there was this noise that went, And I thought, what, what, what's the, what, what is that? And, of course, it was me making that noise. That was Primal like, roar from nowhere. <laughs> in a voluntary goal sound at a song. People were looking around at me. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was quite a striking night. Uh, no, November 94, that was. He played, oh, he played wonderful. Four, four Fridays. Uh, four Fridays in November at Shepherd's Club. Oh, yeah. incredible. <laughs> Tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Well, I've had no years clubbing, Stu. There's no, there's no getting away from it. Rock I've clubs just... can't, mate. Rock clubs can't. Right. I've, I've always been a rock clubber. Right. So there used to be a... Uh, a uh, so, when I f- so you were talking about London, mm-hmm. right? And one of the reasons perhaps you didn't feel the need to come to London is because you've always been within striking distance of the city. So it wasn't such a foreign concept to you. Mm. I don't know if that's that's true or fair. Uh, If you were from the People's Republic of South Yorkshire or Middlesbrough or Cornwall perhaps, Perhaps it's a different thing. Less so now, perhaps, because we have the technology that we're using today. But certainly for me, it was, it was, it was always my destination. I had an uncle that lived in London who I came to see when I was 12. Uh, and he showed me around the city and I just thought, well, this is clearly the greatest place I've ever been to. Uh, and it remains my favourite city. And I've been fortunate enough to, to go to many dozens of cities with what I laughingly refer to as my job. Uh, And it just so happened that wanting to become a music journalist, you were required certainly then to to, to be in London, certainly to pick up, you know, interviewing bands work because they would be at the record company or at the event. So I got here and I worked my way into the city slowly. I started off in Southgate, which is almost at the end of the Piccadilly line. And then I moved to Palmer's Green, which is a mile or two further in, uh, in a two-room bed set. And I got my first circle of friends, a couple of friends from Buckingham moved moved to the city. And, it, and, and I'd started, I was a music journalist. I was l- l- pretty low down the pecking order, but nonetheless, 
I was a music journalist and there was a club uh, on Green Lanes, just the, the, the north side of the North Circular. Uh, and I've been racking my brains and I've remembered the name of it. It was called Fagin's. And it was just basically the back room of a pub, quite a large rectangular room. And my friends and I, I've heard, I, I've, I've heard you know, uh, illegal activity mentioned on the, on the show before. So me and my friends would go down to a pub I have named it in my book, but I'll not name it on the air in case you end up in, in, in court. Uh, 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 <laughs> the sketchiest pub you, you ever saw, which was on, uh, 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 which was down by Turnpike Lane, uh, and we'd score a, a pretty enormous quantity of amphetamine sulfate. <laughs> uh, and then, and then we would go to the club and we'd drop, we'd take speed. And and I, I mean, my 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 long history of drug misuse it is chronicled in the book. But this was the first time I was sort of becoming aware that I liked this stuff perhaps more, even more than my friends did. Because I'd stay awake for days on end, literally, like up to five days I'd be awake. I wouldn't recommend it. And um, and we would sit at a table at the back. But as we were discussing earlier, Stu. It was a great time. This is sort of 93. It was a great time. They'd play Alice in Chains and they'd play Social Distortion and they'd play the Black Crows. You know, there was none of that kind of uh, L.A. hair metal rubbish. It was just, it was, it was great. It was great, great. And we'd sit at the back listening to music but talking. And one minute it would be 10 past 11 and the next minute it would be 5 to 3. It closed at 3. It just used to fly by. And be like, oh man, oh no, and and we'd know it was the end because every single week they would play Ace of Spades by Motorhead as the final song. So how could that not be? And I do honestly believe that it is. There is a scientific formula waiting to be discovered that will empirically prove that Ace of Spades is the one song beloved of every single person alive who has been lucky enough to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I remember. And it was great. I got a girlfriend, Jenny, and, uh, and yeah, like I said, it, it was strange up there because it was sort of people that, that, you know, were from Enfield and Winchmore Hill and for anyone that knows that area. And they didn't identify with London as, as we know it. I speak to you from Camden Town. Uh, you know, they didn't identify with Soho. It was like a foreign country to them. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't often go further in than the North Circular, I guess because they were from that area. But for me, it was my launch pad into the city, and I'm glad I did it that way because I think if I'd have arrived and just plonked myself down in Camden Town where I am now, it might have been a bit much for me. It might have been a bit overwhelming, but I I got in at the shallow end, and that was my my, my first, certainly my first year, 18 months, two years in the city. And, and I, I found its beat, and 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 Fagin's on a Friday night was a big, a big, a big, big part of me doing that. Love it, love it. I've not heard of that. I was, I mean, my my club's in Essex. Uh, mm. and, What's uh, your club called? The Pink Toothbrush. Nice. And uh, and uh, yeah, and that's been an alternative club since the early eighties. When in the early eighties, it was called Crocs, and uh, and that's where 
all the new romantic stuff was happening and right, yeah. Snow, but a, is that the one that had the, was that the one that had the crocodile in the tank? Yeah. Right, Danny Danny Baker got in for a piece to camera. You can like, watch that on YouTube. You can right, watch that. I, I, he, he brought the six o'clock show down, I think, and done a little yeah. uh, thing. And, you, and again, Depeche Mode, it cuts the Depeche Mode plane actually as well. Uh, that 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 feature, yes, yeah, so that, that's that's my place, and uh, and I've been there. <laughs> Like, is the croc still there? No, the croc was in fact an alligator. There you go. Uh, right. And the alligator is in Colchester Zoo. Good. I'm glad. I'm not sure it's reasonable in the 21st century because of an alligator <laughs> oh, God, in a no. It was gone before I started there. I started there in in '91, and it was gone then. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, we've we've, we've spoken about. Um, Various places uh, that that you've called home. So for track six, let's take you home and tell me the favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah, my home county is is South Yorkshire. I've, I've got to do it. It's the People's Republic of South Yorkshire, and I'm um, just shooing a cat away there. Cats love boxers, and I've got a box down here. <laughs> uh, when people say, you know, people would say to you, "Oh, you're going home for Christmas." I am home. London is home. But my home county, it's possible to have two things going on at once. It's possible for me to be a South Yorkshireman and a Londoner. You know, I, I have no problem with that. But London is where I live and London is where I hope to die in the fullness of time. Uh, boy, did I think long and hard about this. I considered nominating a Saxon track because they're absolute, they're actually from Barnsley, but I realised that Saxon are, are entirely and wholly rubbish, so I couldn't I couldn't in good conscience. <laughs> that, that. that would have been a first outing for Saxon on this podcast. But, I but yeah, I, I, I figured <laughs> so. I don't, I don't know if you've had many people from South Yorkshire on, um, and I thought. I mean, my favourite, so I almost picked Cornerstone by the Arctic Monkeys, which is a wonderful song, mm-hmm. and I almost picked Number One Party Anthem by Arctic Monkeys. But I went for a pulp song, who were, of course, from Sheffield, uh, and I went for The Last Day of the Miners' Strike, which is a bonus track on their on their Hits album. And the reason that I did so there's a line in it that really annoys me where it Jarvis says, and this it's singing about the eighties singing. There's some joker in a headband. There's some joker in a headband singing about getting chicks for free. He's obviously talking about Mark Knopfler who, uh, and money for nothing, but Mark Knopfler was singing about, uh, workers in a television store in New York, watching Motley Crue on a video. And, and, that kind of sloppiness is not like Jarvis, and it re- and it's it's almost ruined the song for me. Yeah. But I am Stu from uh, a town in South Yorkshire that was the birthplace of the miners' strike, and when I was fourteen. Uh, I, you're allowed to work when you were 14 for people of mine in your ge- generation. Yeah, the, these young snowflakes today wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't work if you killed them. Uh, a, 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 a hard work would kill them. So I used to have a job where I'd get up first thing in the morning before school and I would I would organise the, the rounds of newspapers for the paper boys and girls at WH Smith's which then gave me an hour until the manager arrived to, to open the shop uh, to look at these these newspapers that were there waiting to be racked in the shop. 
and it taught me media literacy. It was the most priceless education I could ever have had. I mean, I'm a trained journalist. It, it taught me a lot more than journalism skills school did, let me tell you that. And I learned that what The Guardian or The Mirror was saying about the strike, uh, as it is known in Barnes, it's not the minor strike, it's the strike was wildly different from what the male were, were, were telling me. And, and, and its aftermath when it ended in, in the summer of 1985. Also, I was going up there of a weekend after work on a Saturday morning to see my dad. Uh, and, and he still, although he was no longer a minor, my dad was a minor, my, gra- my granddad was a minor all his working life. An uncle was a minor, another uncle was a minor. My, my other granddad worked intermittently down the mine so it's very much my heritage i've you know i've got my hands are like a baby's ass so i don't want to pretend that but it is certainly you know what i was raised among uh and um and i'd get back and i'd hear you know my dad would take me to the pub because my dad liked to drink and i'd hear stories from the picket lines uh and then the aftermath of, of of the strike when they went back to work and then I'd read this stuff in, in particularly the right wing newspapers and just think, well, this, this just doesn't tally with what I've d- discovered, you know, on my own beat. So I guess what I'm saying in long, long winded and, and convoluted way is, is that I, its title alone is magical to me. And I think that despite the line that I've told you about that, it really bothers me. It's a great march through history and it's a great march through history of the North and, and to my mind, it being called last day of the minor strike yeah. of, of South Yorkshire. And it doesn't make me feel homesick because I don't get homesick because London is home, but it certainly brings the old country to life to, for me uh, in a way that is both modern, but also traditional. And I, I think it's a very very special song in that regard and if it didn't have that bloody line in it <laughs> it would be one of my all-time favorite songs i think do you think there's been a better pop star since jarvis cocker since jarvis cocker i mean he's damn good at it isn't he uh british British, no, I probably. I mean, I, when we, when we, when we, you know, say goodbye, one might immediately come to me, and I'll demand a second appearance. <laughs> I certainly can't think of one. In 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 that, no, actually, and 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 here's why I love him. I was I, I was fortunate enough to just briefly say hello to him. A, 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 a Faber and Faber garden party. I don't know why they're letting us two northerners in there, but, but Jarvis used to be an associate editor at, at Faber and Faber. And my, and my book's published on Faber and Faber. And, um, uh, but one of the things that I said to him, so for anyone that, that uh, there is annually a festival at the, at the, on the South Bank, which is the kind of cultural high arts centre of, of London or one of them. And every year there's a festival called Meltdown. Great, and and, and the, the South Bank, its venues are given over, including the Royal Festival Hall, are given over to, to a curator every year to fill with as, as to fill with whichever artist he or she cho- chooses. Elvis Costello has done it, Nick Cave has done it, PJ Harvey. 
Trains of ill. Yeah, lo- lo- lots of notes, the great and the good. And one year they gave it over to Jarvis Cocker. And the, on his, his opening night of Meltdown, this would be 2008, he booked Motorhead into the Royal Festival Hall. Now, the Royal Festival Hall had been closed for two years at that point, so it could undergo a £98 million acoustic refit. <laughs> and the, 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 the sound engineers that designed that refit clearly had not factored in what Motorhead might sound like because it was, for the first 20 minutes, it was just like white noise. It was like being inside the engine of a, of a jumbo jet as it, as, it, as, it, as it sped along the runway. It was, unbear- it was unbearable. But the, the, the reason I mention it is because he Jarvis came on and introduced Motorhead himself and said, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome one of the greatest bands in the world, Motorhead. And so what you've got, there in Jarvis is someone who is literate and intelligent, associate editor at Faber and Faber, Alan Bennett kind of vibes, if you like, uh, you know, an indie darling at times. But you've also got someone that kind of understands rock and roll, you know, and, and Motet, Motet to me always were a rock and roll band. They're always, the, 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 it, it wasn't, it, it, the, the lineage wasn't Black Sabbath to Motet. The lineage was Jerry Lee Lewis. Richard, right. Uh, and there's footage of them about to play the Sheffield City Hall as well, which is a beautiful venue, and, and they're listening to the boys are back in town. So you're covering a lot of bases there. He's never been too cool for school, but he's just super cool and incredibly talented. So after, after, after ruminating on that uh, out loud for about 45 minutes last year, the answer to your question is no, there has not. <laughs> <laughs> Last track, and you can be yeah. ta- you can be tastemaker now. Tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. So I've gone for a brand new one, and it's so brand new that it's on an album that at the time of recording is not actually available yet, but it will be as we speak next week, uh, so the 23rd of September. I don't know when this is going out to you, so... Yeah. Uh, and... Um, the band are a, a, a band from Hastings called Kid Capici. And they are a band. It's not like Kid Creole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in any way, shape or form like Kid Creole. Uh, and they and they make a noise. They're, 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 you know, there's a bit, of, a bit of grime in there, a bit of punk, a bit of Britpop. Uh, but one of the unusual tracks, one of the outlier tracks on it is a song called Party at Number 10. And I'm and I want to flag it up because I think it's a wonderful song. It's 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 if you like the Arctic Monkeys, you might like this song in terms of how it sounds. But we're doing this this interview, Stu, not to get overly political, but we're doing this interview, uh, you know, days after the Queen died, and there is you know a murmur of complaint in the street that we're being required to mourn in a certain way and conform yep. to kind of a national uh a national narrative of national grief and i'm 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 not this doesn't keep me awake at night uh i am a republican but they don't keep me awake at night 
Um, and I'm just, you know, old enough and wise enough to just sit it out. As long as it, Christ doesn't go until Christmas, I can sit this out to the funeral. But what I worry about with this is that a lot of things are going to be brushed under the carpet in terms of, uh, 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 I don't want to sound like a sixth former. Let me try and choose my words carefully. In you know, what came immediately before will be deliberately overshadowed by some, by the, the, the death of the Queen. Uh, and, right, so Kid Capiche have written this song, and it's called and it's called Party at Number Ten. So it doesn't really need much explanation, except to say that one of the lyrics, or repeatedly, it, it, it's repeated more than once, is "There's a party at number ten. Don't get excited. You're not invited." Yeah. And I just think it is a beautiful and important thing to quite uh, adroitly and quite subtly place on the record. That this happened. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there has been, to at least to my eye, and maybe it might be me not examining things closely enough, perhaps not as much political music uh in the in the in the you know manner of the original incarnation of punk and then yeah. The Smiths, I know you love The Smiths. I know Morrissey is... is it, 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 Loving The Smiths is not the same as loving Morrissey in 2020. It's an awful place that no one wants to be in as a Smiths fan. No, <laughs> he's, he's, he's really pushing that trust well, the, the artist. Thing, one thing we, on this then, you, you're wearing a Pill T-shirt. Yeah. Um, I love Pill. Uh, mm. uh, I, I, do you know what, that, that recent Pill documentary is one of my favourite ever music docs I thought it was yeah, absolutely great. fucking amazing um, my mate went to see Lydon do a, uh, a, a, a sort of live show Q&A thing um, maybe a year ago um, and he just said it was just just wasn't very good it just felt like it was a, a bit like Morrissey where they go to LA or wherever and just feel a little yeah. bit they're a bit more disconnected with the UK than maybe they think they are yeah and and he, you know and and yeah it, it kills me that Morrissey's got these weird views it's like and yeah and and some of the things that I've heard Lydon say have, have, have made me just think oh I don't like you know these people are like proper musical heroes for me and uh and Do I don't know do you think that Lydon means it? I find it very difficult to believe. <sighs> but then you could Lydon say that with Morrissey. You just think, yeah. like, are they just fucking with people because that's what they've always done? And, yeah. But I, I think if anyone's going to be just on the wind-up, it's more likely to be Lydon than or Lydon Lydon than, than than Morrissey. I think Morrissey's kind of shown his colours a little bit. Uh, that, that's 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 my inference yeah. as well. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm willing to believe that John Lydon actually does think that Jacob Rees-Mogg should be the player <laughs> of the country. I, I find that. I think he. I think he has to try harder than that. Really, be honest. Yeah. Uh, oh, what a band, Peel! What a band. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I saw them the other week, uh, the other week in the summer, uh, up at the Forum, which is in, a venue, in, mid-sized venue in Kentish Town. And uh, with my mate James, proper old school, old school, uh, British and American punk fan, my age. 
and we we were we found ourselves a perch on the balcony, but we were surrounded by these faces would be the term geezers not not in any way threatening not larry but definitely up for a night out really definitely up for a night and we were surrounded by them and uh it <laughs> transpired that they were mates of john's they were called the finsbury park massive and john invited them down to every show and they were misbehaving Big style, you know, bottles of wine going back and forth, cigarettes going back and forth. Shall we call it contraband that you might be able to pile in a small heap on the corner of a credit card? <laughs> being passed back and forth. And it, and it was great. It was really lovely to see them. And then at the end of the night, one of them was sat crying in the, in the bar. It had obviously all got a bit much for him. And one, one of his mates was, his mates was assuring him that everything would be all right. Come on, fella. Let's, let's get you home now. A little bit. <laughs> it was great. And meanwhile, Bill were playing this. Playing this weird, weird, even by Pillstone, it was a weird yeah. set. But I was sat around and thinking, oh, my God, you were probably at that, the, you know, first Pill concert, yeah. Christmas Day in 1978 mm. at, at, the, at the Rainbow up in Finsbury Park. Yeah. You know, I'm not, never mind on the stage. I'm just around me. There's, there's yeah. you know, history and stories are plenty. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, uh, the Kikapichi track and, and everything else that we've spoke about, we'll put on a – a Spotify playlist to accompany today's chat. Fabulous. Um, if people want to find out more about your work, where can people uh, get hold of stuff uh, and what can they get hold of and where can they follow you? Uh, well, to, to be honest, Stu, not, 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 not to be on the, not to be on the stump or to be a hustler, but the thing that I'm proudest of, I've, I've, I've had a book, published in in april called uh, bodies life and death in music i don't know why i'm looking up at the bloody spine of it like i don't know the title of my own <laughs> book bodies life and death in music and and it, it, it's and it's on faber and faber and it's doing quite well and it's about um, my own if people have found my little diversionary stories interesting they are in there uh, it's about grief as well, and it's about how the music industry drives people mad and sometimes kills people. It's quite difficult to explain. I've been lucky enough to appear on radio shows and, and, and podcasts and stuff, and I've not really got any better at explaining it. But suffice it to say, the kind of tone that I've brought to, to our exchange here which is serious one minute and then at least an attempt to be humorous the next, is kind of what the book is like. Uh, I write for The Telegraph. I am morally obliged to tell you now that the politics telegraph, telegraph politics are not my own, but they, it is a great writing gig because I have enormous freedom to write whatever I please. So I'm in The Telegraph and, and, and I'm in The Times a bit as well. Uh, and um, and so sometimes I'm in Kerrang! But bodies is the thing that, that that's meant that's built to last i try hard on everything that i write but bodies is the thing that i I really did drive myself to the brink of a breakdown trying to get right so please read bodies because and and please read any young or young i'm not young any any emerging author because i saw a thing this week that 
Uh, 90% of books sell fewer than 2,000 copies. I've been lucky enough to sell significantly more than 2,000 copies of bodies. Uh, but but most writers are, 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 are broke. And, and and a high proportion of books sell fewer than 12 copies. Right? Wow. So so buy a book, but please buy my book. I would be very honoured if you do. And, and let me know what you think, because I always, I always interact. Wonderful. And if they want to interact with you, where's the best place? Where are you most active? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I don't really know how to use it. Right. Uh, my, my wife put me on it. Apparently, it's a young thing. I'm certainly not on Toctic. Uh uh, and I am on I am on Twitter uh, uh, at Ian Winwood one. So like Stevie Winwood, but Ian at Ian Winwood one. Oh well, we'll take you in it when this comes out, so people Thank can go so and follow if they're not already. Ian, I knew this was going to be a cracker, and it's oh, been an absolutely it. delightful natter, mate. Thank you so much. Oh, Stu, I've 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 loved it. You you you're a master at this. I hope I was only worthy of the slot. <laughs> I love Absolutely, it. mate. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. No, no worries. There you go. Oh, delightful episode. What an absolutely lovely human being. Um, Ian Winwood, ladies and gents. What just just loved that. Like didn't have to say a lot. He spoke with such passion. And I love it when that excitement to to talk about records and talk about your journey just like bursts out of you. And that's exactly what happened on that episode. And it was a joy to joy to listen and, and be part of it. Um go check out bodies um and, and go give Ian a follow on the socials. And yeah, like I said at the beginning, if you're new to this, uh, I hope you had as much fun listening to that as I did recording it. Um and go check out another episode. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Go get stuck in. You'll find loads of people that you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll be fans of, and you, you're going to get to hear them pick their story, their, their tracks and tell their story. So go do that now. Um, the website's off the beaten track podcast.com. Uh, or other than that, just go find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next time. In the meantime, see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. It's off the beaten track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with it. Eat a book.